Hello, TrillerCast family. Yes, Brock and Dave will have new episodes soon. However, in the interim, I'd like to introduce you to the Driller Newscast, brought to you by thedriller.com. Yes, the magazine. Every Monday morning at 6 a.m., the Driller Newscast releases new episodes featuring industry content on safety, the latest news, and feature stories or featured industry professionals. What you're listening to now is a replay of past episodes. If you'd like to listen to fresh episodes as they drop, you can find them at driller.com every Monday morning at 6 a.m. Thanks for listening, and please like and share this podcast. Good morning, and welcome to the Weekly Driller Newscast. I'm your host, Brock Yorty, and here's the latest news impacting the drilling industry this week. Kentucky is receiving federal funding for orphaned oil and gas wells. Texas, New Mexico, and Colorado released 2022 Rio Grande water supply information. And for our featured story of the week, we will start part one titled, They Just Don't Want to Work, the first of a three-part series on hiring the next generation. But Before we spud into this week's news and featured story, let's talk employee safety. How do you feel? It's the beginning of the week. Our industry, we got plenty of procedures and uh, processes that we follow. But one thing that we're not very good at following is maintenance of our body. And we have lots of repetitive stress and strains and muscle injuries in our in in our industry because of the way we operate because we operate as if we're the bigger hammer when when we need to solve something what do we do we get a bigger hammer and that's crawling into a crawl space or into a pit or watching a colleague grab two bags of bentonite and carry it from the water truck over to the grouter And we're overexerting ourselves and it's no good. And we can see it one in 100 workers in the construction industry will miss seven or more days this year due to soft tissue and muscle injuries. These injuries are from repetitive stress. They affect our neck, our back, our shoulders, our elbows, our arms, our hips, our wrists, our knees and our ankles. What can we do to prevent these injuries? We, we have to continue to work, but I want you to think about when we have that million dollar piece of equipment, what do we do first thing in the morning? We check all the fluids. We check to make sure that it's still in good working condition. And then we start it up and we don't just run it right up to 2000 or 2500 RPMs. We let it warm up. We let all the oil and all the gear lube and all the hydraulic oil get to where it needs to be. So as good owners and drillers and foremen and workers, we have to consider this. If we're spending the weekend conditioning ourselves so that we can have a better work week, what is happening? We obviously know that 
driller, you're going to be looking up at a top head or a Kelly coming down, a repetitive stress to the neck. We swing pipe wrenches that 100%, you know, breaking out and connecting create shoulder injuries and elbow injuries. Think about your hands and how they get swollen. These are all things that we can do better at because when we end the day, we need to be able to go home and do that honey to do list. We need to be able to play with our kids. We need to be able to grab them, throw them up in the air. And if you're thinking, well, that's their problem. When you search on the internet for repetitive stress injuries or back injuries or these type of things, it's not OSHA. It's not ergonomics companies that come up first. It's law firms talking about compensation, talking about workman comp compensation. You know, so we have to understand what we're doing to our bodies as we awkwardly twist or bend or the overexertion, you know, and understanding these sprains and tears and strains. And just like as we start the morning and that rig needs time or that service truck needs time to get prepped, I want you to think back to high school sports and maybe even college sports. What did you do before practice? What did you do before big games? We're athletes. We're worth way more than that million-dollar piece of equipment. We stretched. We flexed. We conditioned. We made sure we were hydrated. And that's what it's going to come to. We jump in a service truck or we jump in that rig and we drive it 45 minutes to a job site and we jump out and we put our PPE on. Right that moment, it's time to get our backs and our knees and our shoulders and elbows and our necks and every piece of us limber again so that we don't have those type of soft tissue injuries. It's time we consider we are worth more than that million dollar piece of equipment. Because it's nothing without us being there. We've got to work smarter, safer, better processes, tools, and identifying those risks. We can't use our body as the bigger hammer. Be safe. Now on to the news that is impacting our industry this week. Funding has been released to Kentucky through the federal infrastructure law for $104 million to abandon orphan oil and gas wells. Cleanup activities will help improve air and water quality while creating Kentucky jobs. That's from U.S. Senator Republican Leader McConnell. This is a problem in nearly every county, but until now, our local governments have not had the funding required to complete the cleanup projects on a large scale, McConnell said. With today's funding announcement, Kentucky communities will have the necessary resources to launch new cleanup projects create Kentucky jobs. There are more than 14,000 documented orphan wells in Kentucky, and new ones are found on a regular basis. This grant will allow us to make great progress in locating and capping these abandoned wells. It's from Governor Andy Bashir. There is about $1 billion available for state cleanup on orphan wells. A report from 2019 estimated that there are over 130,000 documented orphan wells in the U.S. Last year, Jeremy Verdusco and I, on the Drilling Insight podcast, interviewed the Well Done Foundation, a nonprofit in the western United States abandoning 
orphan wells there and also in Pennsylvania and soon in Ohio. They need good quality drilling companies that are capable of helping remove tubing and abandoning these wells. There are lots of opportunities throughout the United States and there is funding available for 28 states right now through the federal infrastructure law to abandon these orphan oil and gas wells. We should all be doing our part. Yes, you guessed it. Now back to the Western United States and how the drought is impacting all of those water communities. The water shared by Colorado, New Mexico, and Texas through the Rio Grande had last week's federal water managers release the annual operating plan for the Rio Grande. The basis of the report says we can keep the river flowing if weather cooperates. Just like the Great Lakes, the Rio Grande has a compact that was established in 1938 to give equitable apportionment of the Rio Grande waters to New Mexico, Texas, from Colorado. In the first 30 years of the compact, Colorado did not release the agreed upon water, owing New Mexico 1 million acre feet of water, and in turn, New Mexico owing Texas 500,000 acre feet of water. The water is distributed from the Elephant Butte and the Caballo Reservoirs. When these reservoirs are at capacity, the compact states that all states are released from water debt obligations as water is dumped downstream. After the release of the annual report, New Mexico has requested farmers to fallow farmland this year, and they will be paid not to irrigate. The Colorado River is one of the most closely controlled rivers in the world. It also has a compact established in 1922 for Arizona, California, Colorado, Nevada, New Mexico, Utah, and Wyoming. It is responsible for water and power generation. We can see that power generation at Lake Powell and Lake Mead. Both reservoirs right now are half full and have been actively in the news. We're going to continue to see these type of situations happen as uh, we see the impact. And if we don't get the rain that we're expected for the monsoon season, it could be even worse. And the Rio Grande affects Mexico just as much as it does Texas and New Mexico. So if you're in those areas, definitely be watching what's happening with legislation and plans and what we're doing with our farmland and irrigation. Welcome to the featured driller portion of the Driller Newscast. And today I have a fellow Michigan driller with me, Robert Kuhn. Uh, go ahead and introduce yourself, Robert. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Robert Kuhn of Kuhnwell Drilling. Uh, well, formerly of Kuhnwell Drilling, I'm retired now uh, in Michigan area. And good morning. Well, good morning. We'll jump right into our question. How did drilling get into your blood? Well, by injection. <laughs> uh, well, like most owners, most owners uh, you know, have uh, been born into it. Their family owned companies. Actually, there's only one person that I know of that's an owner that wasn't born into it in this area. 
So, uh, yeah, I was born into it. I'm fifth generation. Um, so that's how I got started. The trucks, ever since I was a little kid, the trucks always amazed me. So, and, uh, uh, you know, when you finish it well and get it pumping and stuff and, it's like, you know, my dad used to say, it's almost like fire. You can sit there and watch a well being pumped and it's mesmerizing, like watching a fire, you know? So I was taken uh, right off the get go. I completely agree. It's uh, there's something spiritual about, you know, getting to help make water come out of the ground and provide that resource to others. Right. Right. Yep. Very satisfying. Fifth generation, that means there's a lot of lessons you must have had. What is one big lesson you'd like to share with the industry? Stay safe. I've seen so many accidents. Um, As a matter of fact, I have a good friend that I've spoken with you about that right now he's recovering in in, uh, University Medical Center in Ann Arbor. Um, Tragic situation. Uh, raised his boom. He was pulling a sub out of a well and he went to raise his boom, raised it up into some power lines. And this is a man that's been in the business for 40 some years, 40 plus years, uh, very experienced. And uh, I can't understand, it got comfortable and, uh, you know, just over an oversight. Maybe the sun got in his eyes. We don't know, but he was electrocuted and he's in bad shape. Stay safe. So final question, uh, you're fifth generation. Um, I'm third generation. It's one of those situations where if you're in the industry and you've heard the stories around the dinner table and you know, you know how important water is, it's easy to be inspired to be part of it. But how do we inspire you know, this next generation coming in, or how do we get some more young folks in our industry? It's a, that's a tough question because anymore, what I've seen, especially this young generation, they don't want to work. They don't want to work hard and they don't want to work hard and nasty for sure. And, uh, you know, that's, it's a, it's a tough job. It's hard. It's hot in the summer, cold in the winter. Colder in the well diggers, Watusi, but, and it's, you know, you get injured. Uh, that's, that's, I don't know. The owners need to start breeding more drillers, I guess. <laughs> I, 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 that's, I don't know how to answer that one, Brock. You know, I think about it a lot. I lie awake at night thinking about how many more drillers we need for everything that's happening And I truly believe um, it was really easy for us as a culture to tell a son or a daughter or a nephew or somebody close to the family, jump down in that hole and do what you're doing. And yeah, it's going to be hard and hot and miserable and you're the worm. And it was okay when you were the son or the daughter. Right. And there again, uh, you can be the son or the daughter and... You know, it's like my dad used to say, there's well drillers and then there's not, you know, it takes a special breed to, to, to have the perseverance to, to go through that. 
in the hot months and in the cold months and getting your hands smashed and still doing the job and sticking at it and you know and and uh I don't and a lot of people don't have it you know um that is a problem that I'll tell you what I mean I couldn't even get my son to go that way he's a plumber <laughs> yeah so uh yep there are no more coons in coon well drilling after 100 years 100 years since 1917 to, and that's when it was incorporated to uh, 2017. Yep, yep. We're a dying breed. Bob, I'm really appreciative for you coming on today and talking and sharing with us. And uh, it's uh, it's neat to hear about 100-year-old companies. You know, although maybe paused, there's still a chance that, uh, you know, uh, well, the name lives on. It was sold. So the name lives on and, you know, but there's just none of us working it anymore. Sure. So I wouldn't mind getting involved some kind of way, but my my spine just doesn't allow me to to get out there and with a shovel or, you know, stand on that rig. Yeah. <laughs> me to death. Get out of peace. Get on some rock. But I'd love it. Don't turn. I guarantee you. I still have. I still have dreams about being on the rig. Oh yeah. Once it's in us, it's in us for life. Thanks again, Bob. You guys stay safe out there. Have a good one. For our main story of the week, we will be kicking off a three-part series on hiring the next generation. This is part one. They just don't want to work. I don't know how many times over the past 10 years I've heard that or the discussion on our age gap being the millennials fault. So we really need to drill deep into where this age gap is coming from. How did we get here and why do we continue to just say they don't want to work? This job's too hard. The reality is there are 7.6 million men and women working in the construction industry. The Association of General Contractors released a construction data that this industry has more than 745,000 employers with over 7.6 million employees. This creates about 1.4 trillion in business a year. So we have plenty of people. It's just where do we fall as the drilling industry in those 745,000 employers? Then if we look at the historical data from the Census Bureau on job movement and flow, we're estimated in 2022 to lose 1.2 million construction workers. They're going to leave to go work in other industries. One in five construction workers are over the age of 55 years old. When do they plan to retire? I know in the industrial drilling industry, it's very common. We don't retire. We have a very poor retirement plan in place and a broken body when we do it.
So what does the drilling industry's playing field look like in this massive industry of 745,000 employers? We're likely less than 5% doing all the employment. And we are a very tribal, self-taught industry with few SOPs and considerations on succession planning. So let's jump back 20 years when I was in my 20s. We had a good plan in place of hiring the neighbor kid and the farmer's son or daughter, uh, recruiting people at the local coffee shop, lumber yard. You know, there were plenty of places where a drill rig pulled up, it looked awesome. We brought him to work. And then what happened? Two things. 9-11 happened. And a lot of the good men and women that would have been immediately trade savvy, wants to work with their hands, wants to be outside, loves the mud, went and fought the war on terror. And while that was happening in their deployments, we had the housing market crash. And many of our small businesses, right-sized, made it so that we could sustain. Heck, I left my father's company, went to college full-time during that, because it made sense for me to be in school through the rainy fall and all of winter into spring and be back at the family business mid-April through Labor Day. So we have an opportunity right now. It's the last week of April. We have plenty of smart, young, able-bodied men and women that are in the geoscience industry, studying those majors, uh, understanding engineering, that need summer work. But we can only do this if we have a good onboarding process. And we have to think about our culture so is it they just don't want to work or is it they don't want to work in this job a young <clears throat> individual with no debt needs about 15 bucks an hour to get to that living wage of thirty thousand dollars a year that's working 40 hours a week you know 50 weeks a year we can go to Massachusetts Institute of Technology to the livingwage.mit.edu page, and you can look at living wages throughout the country who takes in Bureau, Bureau of Labor Statistics and minimum wages and data and continues to update it. Created by Amy K. Glassmeyer. And if we take that same individual and they have a spouse, they require nearly $25 an hour to have a strong living wage that can cover everything from housing to transportation to all the amenities that make it worth being a productive individual. And if they have one child, we're at $27 an hour or greater. And this is the base minimum. So we look at that 
compound that with many companies providing insurance and others not. And we can start to see the picture of where is this new generation? They just don't want to work. There's no inspiration in holding a shovel and pulling cuttings out of a pan or digging a ditch. And what we do, the inspiration comes from making resources come out of the ground. And then we put on the fact that there are a lot of other construction trade jobs out there paying better. The idea of, I'm going to pay you this, but you can work all the hours you want. It's a poor business plan. I want you to consider some projects that should have finished on time. However, in order for the living wage to be made, they became 50-hour, 60-hour work weeks to complete those jobs. Beyond that, we get into the idea of our new generation likely didn't have shop class. Stopped having all of the hands-on aspects of what 20 years ago was a common practice. And we're seeing huge influxes in trade schools and tech centers throughout the country and big influences on teaching trades at all levels. But this has been the last three, four years, and we've just had a crazy pandemic in the middle of that. So we have a workforce that wants to be outside, wants to be part of this next generation of the future of building. They've run Minecraft, so they've been building cities and planning and designing, not just playing video games. They like being outside. They want to be in geosciences and engineering and being able to point at large structures and saying, I had something to do with this. And I think about what I just wrote about in the driller about soft skills. And we get that term soft skills. It's 50 years old. And I hear gruff, tough leaders say, I got to work on my soft skills. I got to figure out this trophy generation and how to treat them better. But it's it's just something I'm not good at. And you know, it's ironic because soft skills was a study done in the late 60s for the U.S. Army as we were drafting one in four to go fight in Vietnam. And it was tough and we weren't doing well. And so these psychologists started looking into the leaders that could inspire and get the troops to be victorious and turn this around. And they deemed them soft skills were the leadership skills and persuasion and inspiration and communication. And hard skills was being able to run heavy equipment and tactics and shooting and the things that we can do by repetition. And the generation that just couldn't win, that couldn't, just didn't know how to work, was the youngest of the boomer generation. And it was the oldest of the boomers and the youngest of the greatest generation who had fought two wars and 
helped build our nation that was looking down at these young men and saying, they just don't want to work. They don't know how to win. So it's going to be our culture. It's going to be our pay. It's going to be everything that builds what our businesses were like 30 years ago. That treatment of the family member, the succession, the neighbor, the nephew, working for dad, grandpa, and mom. We have to figure out how to hone back in on the family business core and using that teaching that, sure, you could be upset at the sun at dinner for it taking an extra three hours to get that pump pulled, but then we let it go and we found a time to say, I'm proud of you and you're doing a good job. But now we have a new generation that needs that aspect, that aspect of good pay, inspiration, and being part of our industry. And we're just not going to get there in the culture we have right now. So the next time you say they just don't want to work, I want you to think about work for who? Because there's plenty of them out there. And with the infrastructure bill and the water crisis and everything that's happening, it's a lot more that needs to be had. This is a wrap-up of Episode 8 of the Driller Newscast. Thank you for joining me this morning. You can catch us every Monday morning at 6.30. We are now on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, or you can check out the video. If you have a idea, a success story, a failure story, an injury story, want to debate what we've just talked about with hiring the next generation, contact me, questions at askbrock.com. Check out thedriller.com. There's great content coming out daily. We thank all of our advertisers for supporting the driller. And be safe, have a great week, and start thinking right here on where this next generation is coming from and how we support our country and the infrastructure and everything that's happening, but how we also support the water crisis around the world. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening or watching this episode of Driller's Cast. If you would like more content, you can always go to drillerstribe.com, D-R-I-L-L-E-R-S, tribe, T-R-I-B-E.com, or find us on social media at Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Driller's Tribe, Driller's Cast, Global Drill Trainer, Uh, You can definitely get into discussions with us and other industry experts, trolls, and um, mud men at any time. The intro to Driller's Cast is provided by Dave Bauer's son's band, Far Under. The intro to Mud Men 
and other music that you hear on here is licensed through Artlist Music Licensing. And finally, for the Lego Mumbo Jumbo, The View, and Opinions Expressed here on Driller's Cast and Driller's Tribe are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of our employers, companies we work with, or companies that we volunteer to work with. Any content provided by our hosts, guests, bloggers, or authors are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. We have the best intentions here, and it's uh, just like drilling. Things are unexpected. And none of this is scripted. Thanks for listening to Driller's Cast. We really appreciate you. Please like, subscribe, share, and we'll continue doing this for as long as it continues to be fun. Thanks.